0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. How do Canadians feel about the future king, Prince Charles, and Camilla after their whirlwind visit this week? And... Why is there no let-up in the huge lineups and delays at our country's airports? Air Canada's former chief operating officer has a theory. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new study blames pollution for 9 million deaths a year globally, attributed to dirty air from cars, trucks and industry. That's a from 2000, but the increase is offset by fewer pollution deaths caused by things like water contaminated with human and animal waste. Published in the journal The Lancet Planetary Health, the study finds India and China lead the world in pollution deaths. The U.S. ranks 31st, and Canada reports 36 pollution-related deaths per 100,000. Over 75% of long COVID patients in the U.S. were not hospitalized for the initial illness. This adds to a growing body of evidence that while patients who have been hospitalized are at greater risk for long COVID, people with mild or moderate initial infections, the vast majority of patients, can still experience debilitating post-COVID symptoms, including Breathing problems, extreme fatigue, and cognitive and memory issues. The study was done by Fair Health, a nonprofit organization that focuses on health care costs and insurance issues. The Taliban has ordered women TV anchors to cover their faces on air. An Afghan local media official confirmed his station had received the order and was told it was not up for discussion. He said the station has no other option. Several female anchors and presenters posted their photos on social media showing them with their faces covered, with one prominent presenter writing, quote, a woman being erased, on orders from the Virtue and Vice Ministry. So, today we're going to talk about nun pockets. Anybody who went to Catholic school or hung out with nuns or hangs out with nuns who wear a traditional habit knows that we have special pockets. That's Nonsense for the People, a TikTok account by an order of religious sisters in New Jersey. Sister Monica Clare of the Community of St. John Baptist, who at 56 is the youngest, warns her community that if they remain hidden, they'll die out. So she's ramping up their presence on social media to offer a window into their cloistered lives. In 2019, 87% of Christian women and men committed to a religious life were 60 and older. And when TikTok came on the scene with an active global user base of one billion, the religious order realized this could be a new frontier for outreach. I cannot believe it.
2: Everything that I was up against was just the most beautiful desserts and puddings with beautiful stories.
1: Gemma Melvin's Lemon and Swiss Roll amaretti Trifle has been chosen as the official pudding for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. This after winning a competition to find a new dessert. It was inspired by the lemon posset served at the Queen's wedding to Prince Philip. The trifle is made with layers of lemon curd, Swiss roll, custard, jelly, a mandarin coulis, and amaretti biscuits. Mmm. It will join the Ranks of royal-inspired dishes such as coronation chicken and victoria's sponge. Some 5,000 people, aged eight to 108, entered the nationwide competition. I'm Libby Neimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week's whirlwind royal visit by Prince Charles and his wife Camilla focused on reconciliation with Indigenous people. But for many Canadians, it raised the question of whether it's time to cut ties with the monarchy. Recent polls show a slim majority think that should happen when Charles becomes king. I talked with David Onley, who served as the Queen's representative, the lieutenant governor from 2007 to 2014. We had this visit from Prince Charles and Camilla. Your initial impressions, how did they do?
2: I think they did very well, um, given the limited duration uh, of the visit. Uh, and, you know, they compressed a lot of activity into just three days. And um, so I think, given those circumstances, especially um, the Prince's comments about needing to address the uh, dark past uh, insofar as Indigenous affairs is concerned. Um, you know, he's a, a man that is very well versed in uh, Canadian politics and um, not afraid to talk about them. And uh, so he did it in a very diplomatic way, as one would expect, but um, addressed some of the profound issues affecting Canada.
1: Well, yes, profound issues affecting Canada, but, you know, there are... Indigenous leaders here who would like an apology from the Queen.
2: Yes, um, I I know that is very true. Um, We'll see whether that occurs within her lifetime. Uh, I suspect if it does not, uh, that it would come during his time as uh, king. So we shall see.
1: It really struck me how meaningful this was to so many residential school survivors, and other Indigenous people, even coming from Prince Charles, as opposed to the Queen, not that he actually apologized.
2: I think one thing that Canadians don't understand very well is that notwithstanding uh, these issues that they rightfully bring forward, uh, that there has always been uh, another special relationship with the Crown that uh, transcends the day-to-day and week-to-week and year-to-year politics of our country, Uh, and that the relationship between uh, the monarch, whoever that person happens to be at that time, and the indigenous people is um, very unique, and and so they respect the monarch, uh, notwithstanding the issues that uh, they're facing. So it's, it's a little bit complicated, to say the very least, but, um, you know, treaties are drawn up um, with the indigenous people and the crown. They're not drawn up with the indigenous people and the government of the day. And the indigenous people look at this in a very different way, uh, other than looking at it in terms of a, a political uh, issue with a, a government whose party May be in power right now, but uh, after the next election or whenever, uh, will be booted out of office by uh, um, by the electorate, and then everything changes. So they do see that in a in a very different way.
1: Speaking of the crown, so what kind of headway, or did? the royal couple make headway gaining a place in Canadians' hearts because I'm not sure they have a much of one at the start of this. I'm talking about esteem and, and well, love is too strong a word. So how's he doing with that a- and Camilla?
2: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about esteem, um, that's something trust is earned, it's, uh, and esteem is earned. And I would say, obviously, uh, love is earned. And Her Majesty the Queen came at this situation in a far, far different way, um, when she ascended the throne after George VI's death. Uh, and, uh, it was a very different scenario. And so there was enormous and great affection to this young woman, um, who took to the throne. Um, and so there was, I would say, instant affection. Whereas with Charles, you know, for most of us, uh, who have been alive since, uh, you know, the end of the war, 1950 or 51, um, we've, we've come to view this person in a very different way. And, uh, I suppose that's inevitable. And, uh, we've seen him get married and then we've seen uh, him get divorced and it's been completely, uh, very public, and in that instance, he was seen as the bad guy. Um, and then over time, uh, you know that um, that handle or that description of him is uh, shifted. But clearly, you know he's he's not the the one that naturally people uh, fall in love with.
1: Finally, we've seen the polls. Many, many Canadians would like to get rid of the monarchy after the Queen passes. Do you see that gaining steam? The way our
2: Constitution is set up, it's almost impossible to do away with the monarchy. It's much more complicated than uh, if it gained favor for whatever reason in the United Kingdom. A simple vote of the House of Commons and effectively, uh, you know, the monarchy is over with. In Canada, we would need a a majority vote of the House of Commons in conjunction with a majority vote of every other province and territory. So, you know, how do you do that? I think it's logistically, uh, if not impossible, it's highly improbable.
1: Anything you want to leave us with?
2: I hope um, everyone gets to enjoy Canada Day, which used to be Dominion Day.
1: Well, yeah, and uh, we're going to celebrate Victoria Day tomorrow. Yes, we are. are.
2: (laughs) Happy Victoria
1: Day. David Onley, thank you so much, and happy Victoria Day to you. Thank you. That was the Honorable David Onley, former Lieutenant Governor of Ontario libby zneimer and this is the zoomer weekend review coming up who is to blame for the huge lineups and delays at our airports
0: you're listening to the zoomer weekend review brought to you by carp helping you unlock money you didn't know you had members only discounts that can save you tons find out more at carp.ca
1: lineups at security and customs. Passengers held on the tarmac for hours because there is literally no room for them in the airport. The government, the airlines and the airports are all blaming each other. Here's where Transport Minister Omer al-Ghabra is pointing the finger. There's issue also of new travelers who have not traveled for very long that takes taking out the laptop, taking out the, the fluids. All that adds 10 seconds here, 15 seconds there al denied that the government asked airlines to cancel flights to ease the backlog. That's where I started my conversation with Duncan D., former chief operating officer at Air Canada.
3: It's actually not quite the government that's asked flights to do that. Um, what has now been revealed is that last week the GTA would have, quote, floated the idea that airlines should cancel flights to cope with the huge backlogs at customs and also at security at the airport. And the airlines, I think, fortunately for Canadian travelers, said no. And they said that uh, these are regular, in fact, flight traffic in Canada is still tracking at around 70% of pre-pandemic levels. So we're nowhere near um, over capacity anywhere um, in Canada at this time. Um, but it seems like the government, both at CASA, which is uh, the pre board sc- airport screening, and uh, CBSA, which is Canada Customs, they can't seem to handle the uh, the loads that are now just returning um, after the pandemic.
1: And why is that?
3: Um, I think there's two explanations. So there are two different um, massive cues that we're talking about. On the arrival side, it's Canada Customs and immigration, which are now still... Um, doing the uh, pandemic era inspection. So they still have to verify vaccination status. They still have to organize, uh, random, um, testing, uh, for arriving international customers. That is adding, um, time to the inspection. So what currently happened, what happened pre pandemic, um, was that travelers would, would take about maybe 60 to 90 seconds to be screened. That's doubling and tripling now uh, because of the pandemic era rules that uh, travelers have to abide by coming from outside the country on the security side. It just seems to be complete disorganization and utter chaos. So the minister of transport last week admitted um, in questioning from the media that they, the, uh, Air Security Agency, which is CATSA, is running at about 90% of its pre-pandemic staffing levels. But since air traffic is only at around 70% of pre-pandemic levels, they've in fact got more people um, processing fewer travelers than they have pre-pandemic. So the lineups uh, at security are completely inexplicable, other than the fact that it's likely um, mismanagement and just poor planning
1: it was fairly astonishing the minister blamed passengers. He said the problem is that passengers are, quote, out of practice.
3: I think it's absolutely astonishing, Libby. And, you know, the thing that is quite astonishing, given that statement, is that we ain't seen nothing yet. Um, We are in May. We're about five to six weeks before the the, the peak of the, uh, the travel season, when even more so-called out-of-practice travellers are going to be hitting the skies. We're talking about families um, coming out of school um, and taking their summer vacations. You know, we're not talking in the summertime of business travellers uh, being the majority of, of, of traffic. We're talking about families with many with small children who will be taken to the skies. So if he's blaming travellers now for being out of practice, just wait and see what happens in five weeks' time when school lets out.
1: I was talking to one of the union heads the other day, and I got a completely different story. He's saying there's a labor shortage. He's saying that there's a huge amount of turnover because it's a difficult job. The pay isn't great. And he said there are a lot of workers in the pipeline who still haven't been trained or security cleared Yet, you're saying, no, they're staffed at
3: 90%. It's not me saying that. It's the minister, the employer, the guy that that is responsible to the Canadian people for managing this agency that said that last week publicly. He said very clearly that um, they are at 90% of pre-pandemic levels. What I'm saying is that you should be able to handle the 70% uh, of tra- uh, passenger traffic with 90% of your staffing.
1: Again, uh, the union leader I spoke to said, it's only going to get worse.
3: It's absolutely going to get worse because the travel peak is, we are just at the start of the travel peak. Universities have just started um, letting out. So the university students are starting uh, their summer breaks And uh, in a few weeks' time, we're going to start wave after wave after wave of um, elementary and high school students and their families taking to the skies. This is when Canadians travel. This is not a mystery. We have had a summer peak for as long as we've had airlines carrying travellers. And if the government isn't ready for that peak, then, yes, the union leader is 100% right. It is going to get uglier and uglier.
1: Do you have anything positive to tell us as we start? planning our summer holidays?
3: Look, I think that um, the only advice I can give listeners is to be be ready and be prepared. The great thing is that airlines um, have prepared for this. So at the airline side, they have prepared for this wave. Um, so they've uh, done many pandemic era uh, things like deep cleaning and the precautions that you want to take. So I am very confident that uh, Canadian travelers can hit the skies safely. I just hope that uh, the minister has enough time in the next four to five weeks to get ready so that uh, Canadian families aren't stranded on their first holiday since the start of the
1: pandemic. Okay, Duncan D, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Duncan D, a former COO of Air Canada. <laughs> That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. And happy Victoria Day.
0: Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Zneimer.